On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse, we talk with a survivor named Doug. And Doug was in multiple long-term toxic relationships and is a survivor of generational trauma. It's a story of addiction, codependency, isolation, broken bonds, and doing the hard work in the aftermath. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse, a podcast that gives a voice to survivors of toxic relationships. I am Brandon Chadwick, but my friends call me Chad. And thanks for tuning into this episode. So what is a narcissist, you may ask? Well, for the purposes of this podcast, we refer to a narcissist as anyone who has displayed a pattern of behavior that shows a limited capacity to appreciate others' perspectives. It is that simple. And now, before we get to our episode with Doug, I just want to first thank everyone in the Narcissist Apocalypse community for listening to the show and sharing your thoughts by email, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Also, a reminder, if you have not left us a review on whatever podcast service you use, Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, etc., etc., please leave us a five-star review because it helps out the show when it comes to ranking. Now, if you have not been to our website recently, please do go there if you want to be part of our show at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, it says Guest Form. Click that button, takes you to Guest Form. Fill it out, and we will go from there. But another way to be part of our show is to also go to NarcissistApocalypse.com and to be part of our Letters to Our Narcissist compilation episode on our webpage at NarcissistApocalypse.com. You'll see a button on the right side of the page. It's floating around. It says Send Voicemail. It records up to five minutes. If, if you, I almost had to spit that out there. Having trouble today. If, if you need more than five minutes, record twice. you need more than ten minutes, record three times. We are accumulating all of these letters for a volume five of our Letters to My Narcissist episode. And if you don't want to read the letter yourself, send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com if you want me or my old pal, Melissa, to read your letter instead. What else is going on at our website? I am glad you asked everyone. At NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses, we are now offering high-conflict parenting courses that are provided to us by online parenting. And many of these courses we are offering were created by Bill Eddy, who is an expert in this field. He is a social worker. He is also a lawyer. He educates lawyers and judges across the country about high conflict people. And now everyone, he has created some parenting courses too to help you through divorce and to help support your children too. These courses are the most widely recognized courses by family courts across the country. So if you want to support the show and are looking for guidance, please do go to NarcissistApocalypse.com slash courses. And our Patreon. We got more people on our Patreon this week. We had a free episode last week. 
with James, which was a great episode, Canadian James. Uh, you know, t- today we have Canadian Doug on the show, but we had James uh, last week, and he talked about growing up uh, with an alcoholic parent as well as a narcissistic mother. That episode is free. It's on our Patreon. You can go listen to it right now. We also have follow-up episodes on there. We also have uh, episodes that never made it to air. And then we have some weird episodes with Melissa and I where most of the time we just chit-chat with each other. But we'll talk about something. Sometimes it's a movie. We've done Fifty Shades of Grey. We've done, I think we did Twilight. We've done an episode of Degrassi. And I think we might be doing an episode of South Park. Yes, we're doing an episode of South Park. Why? Because for the last few seasons... There's been a storyline where Eric Cartman actually has a girlfriend and it's a very abusive relationship and they discuss the abuse. And there's one specific episode that is fantastic uh, where they discuss it. So I think we're going to do that one next. And what else do I have down here on my list? Um, You know, uh, we're going to go right to the episode. But before uh, I get there, let me just say that, you know, the exam quality on this one isn't the greatest. I did my best. Uh, you know, sometimes we, when we talk to people, we're on the phone and you don't really know until after the, the quality. And I, I've done my best to kind of fix it up to where it is. Um, so please do bear with uh, me and the sound quality. I apologize about that. And I just really want to big, uh, give a big thank you uh, to Doug. I mean, we covered a lot of stuff in this episode. I don't want to ruin uh, the episode for anyone, but, you know, we discussed a couple of relationships. We, we discussed generational trauma. Uh, we discussed the relationship between him and his son and how, you know, his son has to go down the same road that he did and how like that behavior has been passed on from what he's seen from before and how a parent acts and, you know, things happened in this story where a lot of what he's going through, his son is going through at the same time. So it's a, it's a really interesting episode. Uh, Doug is very quotable. Um, and he is, he's just, uh, so Canadian that I love him and <laughs> that's the best way to put it. Um, you know, thank you, Doug, for, for being on here. Um, we haven't had a man on the main podcast in a while, so big thank you. Um, and that we covered a lot of stuff in the healing part as well at the end, you know, stick around. I mean, he's a quote machine. So, uh, thank you, Doug. Uh, for being on the show today and now it's time for me to get out of my way and your way everyone here is my conversation with doug welcome to narcissist apocalypse everyone with me today i have doug how are you i'm well how are you I am doing pretty good. We've been chatting for a while. You know, we're both mm-hmm. we're both Canadian, so we had a little bit of a Canada talk. And sure. um, you know, I as as we both know, I'm from the center of the universe here in Toronto, which is getting we're on And I'm on on the wannabe side of uh the center of the universe. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Canadian joke for anyone who's not Canadian uh, listening, because the rest of Canada thinks that everyone in Toronto thinks that they live in the center of the universe, but they, they just, they just uh, have us all wrong. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I'm, uh, I'm happy you're here with me. It's, uh, you know, 10 39 PM uh, where I am. Um, I got a cup of coffee. This is a really uh, Canadian episode already. I got a cup of Tim Hortons next to me. 
and uh, I'm going to talk to Doug. Uh, and Doug, I just want to thank you for being here. And I'm rambling, and I'm going to get out of my way and your way, Doug. The floor is now yours. Well, my pleasure, Brandon. Um, yeah, so again, my story is kind of a two-part story. And it begins, uh, you know, I was in a long marriage. I was in a marriage for over 20 years uh, in a 25-year relationship with my ex-wife. She uh, grew up in a small town in in northern reaches of Alberta. And, you know, um, I met her when we were still kids. And we were, were, the world was a different place. And, um, you know, it, it... there were signs when I was with her, even even young, even just starting out, where I wasn't exactly certain what was going on, but there was definitely indications that you know, like there were some issues that she was dealing with, even even at that that level. Um, she she struggled with rages. I mean, she would get very angry. Um, um, almost uncontrollably, un- uncontrollably rather, for at times and seemingly little things would, would set her off. And when we were going through the dating process, uh, I remember there was one incident where uh, that stands out in my mind to kind of put this in perspective. Uh, um, I had worked for a company that uh, had laid me off, and it was fairly common. I mean, I was I, for this company, I'd worked for them for a number of years, and uh, it was nine months on, three months off, and I just got laid off that day, and, and I went to go see her, and uh, her mom was, was was there, and she laid into me a little bit about how somebody my age shouldn't be unemployed, you've got to get a job, and on and on and on, and I, at the time, I, my, I was a different person then, I was just like, I don't need to take this crap, I mean, you know, I, this just happened, I'm not, I'm not, Lazy, and in any way, it just kind of blew up, and and you know, and I walked out. But that was a, that was the first red flag that I can think of in that relationship. And uh, I probably should have ended it then. But living in a small town, it was it was uh, kind of you just kind of hang on. There was not not a lot of choice. So as we grew up, not as we grew up, we went back. We both went back to college, and we moved to. Edmonton, which is the capital city of Alberta, as you know. So um, we both were going to college, and we moved in together. And through that course of, of those two years, we grew together. And there was always good times. I can't think say everything was bad, but uh, I know there was one incident, sorry, that uh, that that occurred um, when. There was a pub night. I was going to I was going to college, and there was a pub night, and I went out and with my friends, and so my best friend, who uh, still is in Edmonton, and he wasn't going to college, but uh, uh, when we, we of course we drank a little too much and came home, and uh, when I woke up in the morning, she was she was like, "Where's the car?" I said, "Well, I didn't bring it home. I didn't drive, you know," and she proceeded to hit me square in the chest, knock me out cold. This kind of sets the stage for the for the for the relationship because we we referred to that as the heart punch incident 
for the duration of our our relationship together and how it was dealt with was it was laughed off. It was, you know, ha ha ha, isn't that funny? Um, you, you, you pissed me off, so I hit you and, you know, next time don't leave the car there, you know, was kind of the, the, the message that was sent. This set the table for, for the rest of our 20 plus years together. I mean, um, the rages continued. Um, she suffered from uh, addiction issues. I mean, and I'm going to just jump in there and say, you know, some of the way, way that I dealt with those addiction issues by, by joining her. I mean, specifically, we, there was a lot of alcohol in, in our lives and, and wasn't helpful, nor was it healthy. And over time, that, uh, uh, that took its toll. But at the time, sorry, at the time, mm-hmm. Um, did that just seem like a regular thing to do? Like, there's no questioning about, you know, we're just going to drink. We're drinkers. So this is kind of what we do. Uh, this is how we get along. Yep, exactly. That's exactly right. And it's, it's systemic in the culture of, of, of sometimes Northern, Northern communities. I mean, I'm not, I'm generalizing. I know I am, and I'm not saying that in this particular particular incident it was it was pervasive i mean everybody everybody drank and it was it was not uncommon and uh looking back at it and now that i have kind of got myself into a way more healthy position uh i can i can say looking back i mean you know it was persuasive it was in every aspect of your life it was in every celebration every christmas dinner every thanksgiving dinner uh Weekends on the summer, I mean, people drank, and inevitably people would fight. And it wasn't just us; it was, you know, whole reaches of, of friends and family, and not that there weren't healthy people that that knew what to do with it. It's just that wasn't the people I was associating with at the time. But it, 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 in a way, it was like the culture that you were uh, in. Yeah. Uh, the, there's nothing within that culture that says this is out of the ordinary and you probably don't even realize it's out of the ordinary until you move somewhere else. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And, and the, the other thing to put on top of that, my dad was military mm-hmm. and uh, for anybody who has been in a military family, um, it's an issue. Uh, and moreover, it's an issue in my own family. Both my uncles who have since passed away, uh, died with complications uh, due to alcohol. And my aunt, who lives in California, has been 30 years sober. She hasn't thought it out, but she was, a, she was an alcoholic. And my own mother has, uh, you know, crossed the line on occasion. She's, she's not a drinker, but her and my father, my father has passed away in a number of years now, uh, they got it under control. It's not that it never, it's not that it wasn't in our house and dad and, We'd certainly have a beer, but it wasn't uh, wasn't all consuming like it was in my cousin's homes or or uh, or, or, or with my aunt and uncles. And so it was a culture that I was used to, and so it wasn't it wasn't uncommon. Yes, and, so it's it's fair to say that you were raised around drama or chaos, and being uh, around that is way more comfortable than being around quiet at that point of your life. Yes, it is, yeah. and that is that is absolutely that is absolutely what uh, I was used to. So 
some degree of chaos all around me all the time. That's correct. And uh, so, anyway, uh, moving forward in our relationship with my with, with my ex-wife, um, you know, we moved. We had occasion to move away from Edmonton to back to the back to the lower mainland area of, of British Columbia. And I remember at the time it was an exciting time for us. We were going to get married in the within the year. Uh, and I remember telling her, I said, you know, if we make this move, I mean, we're a long ways away from your family. And are you going to be okay with that? Because, you know, it's not like we hop in the car and a few hours later we're at your family's place and we're not drive to the airport, a couple hours flight, and then another three-hour drive from Grand Prairie to where we live. Uh, that's how far it is. It's a long ways away. So it's, we're going to be missing Christmases and birthday parties and weddings and all the other stuff that goes along with it. And at the time, everything was, was, yeah, I'm excited to do this. Let's, let's get on with our life. And so we got married, uh, moved out. We still were paying off student loans and trying to make a life. And, you know, and uh, she she got a job as a travel agent and she had a opportunity to go on what they call a fam trip. Back. And what that was is often tour companies um, would offer uh, accommodations or, or, or trips to travel agents to try to increase sales. Basically, uh, you know, it's a it's a perk for the industry. And uh, um, she had a chance to go on an Alaskan cruise, and I remember at the time it was seven hundred and fifty dollars. Well, given our given our situation at the time, I mean, that might as well have been a million dollars. We had no way of paying that. And like I told her, I said, love to send you, but maybe next time there'll be opportunities in the future. But right now we just can't afford that. And I said, that's just to get on the boat. After you're on the boat, there's you have to pay for your own food, you have to pay for your own drinks, everything else is is extra. And I think the exchange rate on the U.S. dollar at the time was like, I don't know, 65 cents, something like that. And uh, rather than making the mature decision and saying no, uh, she went to her parents to get the $750 to go, but she would have to come up with the remainder of her, of her expense money. And I was upset about that. I was really upset. And, you know, and I told her, I said, this, this puts us in a really hard position. Uh, um, we, we just don't have the money. You're going to be going on this trip. On a, on a scarcity budget. There's just no way. But she went, and uh, she racked up the credit card. I remember getting a phone call from her saying, you need to put more money in the bank. And I said, I got news for you. There is no more money. There's, it's out. Um, anyway, she come home, and we seemed to be able to talk that through. She was upset, and but on the same account, we, we seemed to get through everything. A month later, we, we'd always wanted kids, and, and a month later... Um, she was pregnant, and um, it was a very happy day. I was, I was excited about that, and and always it was it was something I was really looking forward to becoming a dad. It was something I always wanted in my life, and um, that was day one. On the second day, she had to tell me that she had had an affair or slept with somebody on on the cruise ship, and. I just remember that old, I remember going numb. I mean, that's that fight, flight, or fawn type of response. I just, 
I blanked out. I just can't, I can't even really recall what I was feeling. It just kind of went, slowed down in time and I didn't really know what to do. And, uh, it just really kind of stunned me for a while. And I will admit that, you know, when I finally kind of woke up, I, 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 I had no, no, no answers to that question. I just kind of, it took a long time for me to kind of formulate a response. And how I responded was, is that, uh, well, I don't care. I want, I want to be a dad. This is, this is my chance or this is my opportunity. Um, and I move forward and, Did you you, uh, put up any stink about it at all, or were you afraid of rage if you did, and it was just one of those things like the heart punch where it's like, I did it, what are you going to do about it? Well, she was was remorseful, but on the same account, what happened was as I got the blame shifting started when when I was told, like, you know, well, you did – insert something here. I mean, I can't even remember what it was. I, I went down to uh, my, my, uh, I was working for a company at the time that sent me down to Seattle. I, I had gone down to Seattle, but those expenses were being reimbursed, you know? So it's not the same. They weren't, you know, or, you know, there was, there was a blame shift on, on the whole thing. And, you know, it, it was, she was justifying her behavior. Um, I now realize that at that moment, that's when the relationship ended. It just took another 20 years to kind of finally fall apart. And, you know, over the, over the course of the next 20 years, um, uh, well, it, it, there was just, it was just bad behavior and, you know, a point of, I didn't care. I really just did not care about what she did, who she did it with, what she was doing. Um, so, you know, so, so in a way, so in a way, um, throughout, <clears throat> excuse me, um, mm-hmm. um, throughout this relationship, throughout the 20 years, uh, mm-hmm. the most important thing to you at this point was you're a dad and, yeah, and, my son. and your son, and you don't want yeah. to destroy that in any sort of way. And yep. in a way you just kind of laid down and was, and you didn't put up a stink and you just kind of went with what, uh, was going on. Um, were you feeling, uh, did you challenge anything or were you just like, this is what I have to do to get through? No, I challenge things. I mean, you can't, you can't swallow that much pain without it coming out somewhere. I mean, um, there's no question. You, you, there were certain things that I would do that, would uh, would would I, were designed to let her know I was hurting. I would didn't want to lose my son, and uh, he is my son. Not that I've ever had any genetic tests or anything like that to prove it. I don't care. It was my son, so um, that's just the way it goes. And one of the things that happened out of that is that I it took me it took me um, a little while to bond with him and. You know, everybody tells you it's the most great day of your life. You'll, you know, you'll, you'll feel like a dad. And when I didn't, when I didn't instantly have that connection, I, of course, I had somebody to blame right away, you know. And six months later, 
when when the next six months when I bonded with my son, I mean, there was more more love and connection than I ever ever had with another human being. Uh, needless to say, it kind of developed into maybe a little codependency uh, on my part, but on the same account, I mean, you know, I just love that child and still do. And uh, so, so over the years. So what was the, um, I guess, the beginning of the end of your marriage? Like what had to happen uh for that to happen for everyone listening, you know, we're telling two stories here, you know, and just so you know, Mm -hmm. this story that we're telling is really the precursor to the, um, you know, the, the, uh, what's the best way, the meat and potatoes of, of everything. But this plays a big role into, uh, self-discovery and, you know, and, and a big lesson for everyone. So, uh, I just wanted to say that for everyone. Sure, and I think I think people can you know kind of imagine what 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 had gone on between that. I mean, it was fighting, it was bad behavior uh, on both parts. I'm not I'm not innocent in, in that. Uh, you know, often I would be told that she was you know, with somebody else, and uh, I didn't care. You know, I just really didn't. I, whatever, as long as it wasn't. But what precipitated what what brought us to the end of everything was actually when. When my son graduated from high school, he moved into his own place with his girlfriend, and they were starting out. And that really got me to a place where he's safe and he's gone, and she can't take him from me. Uh, because that was always, you know, one of the one of the threats that she would use. I'll take all your money. I will take your your son from you. We'll never see him again. And there was some validity to that. She could have disappeared back up into the up uh, into northern Alberta, and it would have been very difficult to make that work. And uh, so there was some credibility to her threats. And, uh, and you did what you had short, to do to survive. Yep, did what I did to survive. That's correct. That's what I looked at. So when my son finally moved out, um, we were coming off a, a pretty big timeout. I had called a timeout. I, I was getting at this point, you know, I had done some self discovery. My 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 blood pressure was off the charts, but I started to be healthy. I started I quit drinking, and I, I did quit drinking cold turkey for a very long time, for over a year. And I was always told, "What do you think you're better than me?" Uh, she she raged on me one more time, called me a whole bunch of names, stupid, uh, tearing me apart, and I said, "That's the last time you're doing that." And we had called a timeout, and I moved out for about a month and a half. We tried to get it back together, but uh, it just really had come to a part. And the final straw happened when uh, we were out camping. And fortunately, we're on the West Coast here, Brandon. Uh, we were camping on Thanksgiving weekend. And um, she started raging on me about my cousins and, and whatnot. And I said, hey, you've got to stop. You're making me angry. I'm getting upset. I'm not putting up with this behavior anymore. It's done. Get that under control. We're with friends. I was very calm about it. But when we got back, I said, that's the last time you're getting that to me. It's over. And so I proceeded to find my way out. But um, I, when we started through the, going through a divorce-type proceedings and, and, and split breaking up, uh <laughs> I I wanted to do it amicably. That was not going to happen, so I was forced to go 
goes to a lawyer and my lawyer told me, yeah, I'll take your case, but you need to go see a counselor because you have zero boundaries. And I remember being taken aback by that. What do you mean I have no boundaries? I have boundaries. And only to find out there is no, I have zero boundaries. They they don't exist. And any boundaries that I do have are vaporous. Um, And my counselor at that time, she said, you have to take some time to heal. Well, I did not heed that message. And I found somebody. Um, How soon after? Very quickly, about maybe a month after oh. all that. So after, so after 20 years. Uh, after you, 20 years. How long? So did you continue with therapy before you met the person uh, or after you met this person? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I sure did. Okay. And what's weird about this story is I was actually healing while I was going through this. So maybe, maybe there's that uh, silver lining in that cloud, so to speak. So what year did uh, this relationship begin? Sorry? What year did this uh, relationship begin? Uh, 2016. Okay. Yeah. And so I, I met this person, and uh, I, I mean, to you know, after I'm sorry, back up a minute here. After I moved out, I made I made a commitment that I would make sure that the you know that the bills were paid at the house. Um, and she did. She does work. It's not like she doesn't work. She makes a decent income, but. Uh, you know, I, I do make more money than her, and I did not want to you know, burden her with that. I said, I will take care of the mortgage. I will make sure the bills are being paid and that you're until this thing is settled. And I said, for six months. And within a couple of weeks, she had reconnected with a ball friend, and he had moved back in. And again, I'd already been groomed not to care. I did not care. Even my even my therapist and, 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 and my lawyer said, you're doing what? Why, is it, why are you paying this? I said, because I made a commitment, and I'm not changing that. I will live up to that commitment. It's important to me that my son sees that I'm treating his mother fairly. That was really what I was worried about through this. But on the same account, I didn't like to be alone. I was wondering why, uh, you know, why does the world, uh, there's got to be somebody out there for me. And so I connected with somebody on a dating app. And uh, that's when the fun began, so shall we say. Things progressed very quickly. I mean, the night that I met her, call it chemistry, call it whatever, I mean, there was an, obviously an immediate spark. She was, uh, she was shy. Um, she was very reserved. Uh, I was told that she was coming, you know, she was in separation as well. Um, uh and she was everything that my ex-wife wasn't. She was a professional person. She was met, worked in the medical medical field as a medical professional. She was a manager at a major hospital. Uh, um, masters working on her master's degree. Uh, intelligent, well put together. Mother of three kids. I just I was smitten right off the get go, and she paid me interest. There, you know, she, there was the attention that I hadn't received for so many years, and it was right there. Uh, anyway, she was she was going away for for a couple of weeks. She had to go into residence, and uh, so I wouldn't see her for a couple of weeks. But I told her that uh, after she got back, we would uh, we would connect. And um, the week following that, our first meeting, um, she, she I had a. I had occasion to go over and go see her 
in the uh, middle of the week. She had a, a chance, and she said, "Yes, I'd like to see you." Well, that was kind of the start of everything. It was, it was, the sex was instant, off the charts. We were constantly on it, you know, just constantly into each other. I mean, you know, now I can see what love bombing actually means. I mean, that was part of it, but it was, it was instantaneous. And things moved very, very quickly. Um, when she, when one, one of the things that had happened through all that is that, you know, I knew she was a mother, but seemingly she didn't seem to be concerned about 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 her kids. Uh, and I'm, and I'm not concerned. I mean. She, I know they were with her, their father, but on the same account, there was like just no attention. It's okay. They're with their dad. It, it, they were, they were an afterthought. And, and, you know, to me, and I, I remember picking up on that, but just dismissing it, you know, that was the red flag that really kind of the first red flag that I, that I missed or did not, well, that I didn't miss that I ignored. That's the way to put it. Um, you know, it, and and so it just it just ramped up. It you know we would meet each other, um, we'd meet in cars. We'd meet you know we'd go to hotel rooms. It was just it was just like I was I, where I was living at the time. I was living with a roommate. It was not really conducive to that. And she was still living with her husband because it was you know I only found out later that she was not really divorced and so or separated. So to speak. Um, so that happened for for a few months, and it was it. it I can remember when the devaluation started. It was it was it was very subtle. It was like you're wearing that, or we're going out hiking. What does it matter? You know, <laughs> you know. It's a, I'm wearing sweatpants and jogging shoes to go or, you know, or hiking shoes to go to go on a hike. It, it didn't seem to matter, but little picking away of different things. And then finally about four or five months after we first met, she decided that she, she had to talk to me and she said to me that, uh, you know, like she didn't, she, we both are coming out of these long relationships and we should take some time to heal and maybe see other people and make sure if this is something that we want to do. I, I, I was shocked. I was, you know, there again, there was, you know, I was discarded. It was, it was like, I couldn't believe this was happening to me. Uh, given everything that was going on, I thought everything was going really well. And so, so at, this, first, at this point, you know, all of this attention is being paid mm-hmm. to you. Um, sure. After 20 years, it must feel uh, like, as I say, with a lot of people, like a heroin like feeling uh, for oh. you. Yeah, um, is, is sex used as a weapon in in a sense that like it's um, you're very you're all over each other um, like mm-hmm. you were younger and uh, on paper uh, from her job to being a parent of three children mm-hmm. and everything you're sold hook line and sinker you know you yep. know this person is me is she doing anything like mirroring your uh, oh, yeah. so what kind of mirroring was she doing. Well, uh, well, I can recall going, uh, you know, uh, having tickets to the to, to to the hockey game, 
I know this is, and and she wasn't necessarily a big sports fan, but all of a sudden she, be, you know, she displayed this innate rabid fan syndrome of of, of the local hockey team out here. I was about to do uh, like go local sports team. <laughs> go local sports team, yeah. And it was like you know, and and you know, I would I would meet her in her office, even you know, in in it, it, you know, I was. Yeah, the mirroring itself. I mean, it was there it, it was all sorts of things. She was like, "You're good for me. You're not." I, you know, her her father was a very high placed professional uh, in, in her hometown, and uh, you know, very powerful man, and, and dealt with 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 people in political power in office. And so that's where she, you know, that's what that's. I wasn't that. I'm more blue collar, and 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 even though I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a. Uh, I work in a quote unquote, I don't like these terms, but white, more white collar position, you know, um, I'm more blue collar in my, in my, uh, my approach. My dad was, there's a difference between an officer and a non-commissioned officer. My dad was a retired as a master warrant officer in the military. Uh, you know, he was, he was, you know, there's a difference between classes and that, that structure. Uh, so, you know, it was like, it was mirroring on that occasion, and you know, and of course, then I was love bombed by like people didn't, you know, you know, your 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 ex doesn't understand you, and you know, and I get you, and you know, you 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 know the you know I love you just came very quickly within you know, really weeks of of all this going. They were coming out of my mouth or her mouth. It was it was very very quickly, and uh, but when the discard happened, it was like instantaneous and out of the blue and I was just left dumbfounded. I just remember going, you know, thinking, what the hell just happened? And for about a week I was just, you know, I was I was I was very needy. I was I was proving what good supply I was, you know. Please take let's get back together. I don't understand. I love you so much. I mean there's these text messages in the middle of the, you know on the middle of the night and you know, okay I'll 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 see you, you know we go and meet for, for dinner or lunch and, you know, we have to have time to make this work. And so over a course of about, I would say about a month, I started kind of pulling out of it. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, this, you have to move on or, or I wasn't consciously moving on, but it was like one of those things I was, I stopped that behavior. And then I hadn't, heard from her in a few days and then all of a sudden I got a text message in the morning, you know, after not hearing from her, uh, for, for a few days going, I've made a big mistake. I don't know what I'm going to do. I I'm so confused. I just want to be with you, but I have to take care of these other details in my life, but I just want to see you and I want to be with you. And bingo. But I just was like, there we go. I just proved exactly what I, what to her what I needed to be and of course I jumped all over that and uh, so from that that was four months after we met within within the next month we had I'd moved into my own place out of you know found a place kind of in a neutral site it was my son was still living on his own so he was taken care of and I had a one-bedroom apartment it was just my little spot it was you know place to just kind of go on and it was really weird how all of a sudden she was there. 
every day and moving her stuff in. And it just, and, and I, it's not that I wasn't conscious to it. I was definitely conscious to it. I'm not saying that I didn't, I liked it and I wanted this to happen. But on the same account, it, she moved in with me without really saying we should move in together. You know what I'm saying? There's no mm-hmm. label on it. And again, I have a one bedroom apartment. She has three kids. And I, you know, again, that, that red flag or that caution light that kept coming on, like, why is she here? Why is she not with her kids? I, so how, how old are the kids? At that time, they were high school age. You know, okay. One was, uh, two were in middle school, so grade 8 and 9, and one was just in grade 10, grade 11. And so it's not like they don't need their mother's attention. And so I remember, you know, she brought all three of her kids over, and they spent the night sleeping on the floor. Everybody thought this was fun. And the, the, the demented family I had or the dysfunctional family I had, this just was like, this is fantastic. I, I, I remember thinking how much joy I felt at when her kids came over and we had popcorn and we watched movies and it was just like, it was great. It was just a great experience. Um, so that went on and she just kind of said that she would be, she'd live with me and, and then on weekends or whatever, her and her husband would figure it out. And, and I use the term husband because she never was divorced and she, as far as I know, she's still married, never did. Uh, I, you know, dragged this poor guy along, along with her. And, um, anyway, uh, you know, I, I I just, I just remember, you know, like she would go and stay with her kids on the weekend or she, they'd figure it out, but it just didn't go that way. We were, we were together and her kids were with their dad. And I remember confronting her one time. I said, "Yo, really? I mean, you know, this is, I love spending time with you, but you know, you're a mom. And she got upset with me and then not, not violently and not angrily, but she said, I know it, it's not good to entitle your kids. It's, you know, she had her way, she had her way of, of raising her kids. And this is what worked for her and her terms. And, you know, and, um, who am I to argue with that? You know, I'm not, even though it's that funny with me, my values were, I was compromising my values at that time because, you know, I, I just could not imagine not being there for my own son. But this, within a few months of this situation going, my son had broken up with his girlfriend. And of course, uh, uh, he could not move back in with his mother um, and so he was very fortunate who had a, a, a mentor who's a, a doctor who said that encouraged him to go back to school. And, 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 uh, he, my son had always wanted to be a fitness trainer. And so he'd taken his fitness training, uh, certificate, but this doctor encouraged him to go on and take his kinesiology degree and could get him into one of the local universities here. And so made the decision to move into a larger townhouse, closer to the main town, the big town down the road from us. And we were going to have Brady Bunch. And I just remember being so excited about this, that maybe my son would see what a healthy relationship actually looks like, uh, you know, like with people who actually love each other. And um, the original, the original arrangement was, I was moving in with, she was moving in with me and her kids would come and stay 
um, split time between their dad and her. Um, well, very quickly, she turned on my son. Very, very quickly. Uh, I felt the tension. Uh, I knew it existed. I could feel it off my son. I could feel the underlying anger from her. And, um, yeah, that didn't work out so well. Um, and I remember just that feeling of walking on eggshells all the time and just hoping things would work out and, uh, you know, cleaning madly, making sure no dishes were out of, out of place, that, you know, laundry was done and folded for everybody. I just, I, I went above and beyond trying to make sure that things were going to work out. And, of course, that's just a futile exercise, guys. Did don't your, try. Did yeah. your son verbalize that, like, he didn't uh, like uh, your new girlfriend? And did she verbalize that she didn't like your son? And, um, no. sorry, continue? Not in those terms, no. Uh, my son is very close, plays his cards close to his vest. Um, you know, he learned from the best to keep his emotions intact, you know, don't, you know, uh, you're okay to, you know, the the whole, the old adage of men don't feel is all quite frankly bullshit. Uh, I don't subscribe to it. Guess what? We cry. We feel pain. We feel anger. We feel shame. We feel guilt. We feel all the emotions that human beings feel, but, um, much like I was, he was groomed and conditioned. It's all right to be angry, but it's not okay to feel anything else. And, uh, he never once said anything to me, and very quickly he fell into a relationship with somebody that was extremely toxic that moves forward that where he ended up trying to do himself in a couple of times in this toxic relationship. But he moved in with this this girl within a within a few few weeks or a few months of us being being in this situation. Also, I never saw him again. How she verbalized that situation to me is that. Uh, I spoil him. Uh, you're just entitling him. He's taking advantage of you. Uh, you know, you're not doing him any favors. He needs to learn some of these lessons on her, on his own. And I'm looking at this in the lens differently. At the time, there was probably some truth to that where, you know, I was probably trying to do too much, but on the same account, um, you know, I'm, uh, you know, you have to let, people experience their experiences and learn from them. But on the same account, you know, I would support my kids going to school. That's kind of where I was at. Finally, she came to a point where she, she forced the issue. It was either him or her. And I, I remember looking at her and said, I just recall just being in a state of just disbelief of, I can't believe this is happening to me. You're forcing me to choose. And in the middle of all that, she could see the just the the the, the, the anger, not the anger, the, the just the just well, anger, suppressed anger. But it was just like I can't, I, I can't do this. I can't make this decision. If there's a no-win decision, you're asking me to choose between you and my son. My son and I moved in here. I'm trying to figure out a solution to compromise. When I finally had to tell her, I said, "I'm sorry, but my son is not leaving." Uh, if this isn't working, you're going to have to leave. My son did not know this had happened. He'd already he'd already somewhat moved out. He wasn't certainly there very often. He didn't. Why would you want to be in some place where you're made to feel very uncomfortable? 
And so she up, she got really upset. And I remember the Super Bowl night of 2017. Um, and I, I told her, I said, if you're going to leave, you have to leave. I can't, I can't get my, I can't pass my son to leave. It's, it's not going to happen. And so she, she threw flew, flew into a rage. She started, fine, I'll come get my stuff. I'm out. I'm, my kids are gone. And she packed up everything and she left. And I left the house. I just needed to unwind. I kind of found some place to go and, and just kind of de- detach from all this a little bit. I had blocked her phone number just so I wouldn't be inundated. And when I, when I checked the messages, I mean, there was literally hundreds of messages in different things, uh, you know, different. I didn't read them all, but everything from, I can't believe you're doing this to us, uh, to please don't shut me out, to I want you back, to, you know, to criticizing my son, the whole deal. And uh, anyway. Um, so she, she, would fly off the, she would fly off the handle and rage at you in one message. And then in the other one, yeah. she was the complete opposite. And then she just That's go back right. and forth. Um, yeah, and, and, yeah. And just so everyone knows, yeah. like even when you block someone on your phone from the phone calls, you still yep. get the voicemails. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And you still get the text messages. And a lot of this was text messages. They just go into a different folder, a blocked folder. Yeah. And so that's where they were stashed. And uh, yeah, so I mean, I mean, I remember at the time going, you know, this 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 isn't right. I shouldn't be this fine. Just move forward, move on. But I was love bombed again. I mean, I was the heavy. Not, I wouldn't. I, shall we say, it wasn't a B fifty two. Shall we say it was you know still World War two era, era love bombing at that point. Um, it, you know, and we managed. We pulled it back together again. Moved out with his with his with his girlfriend. And we just seemed to get along okay. Well, but what was problem with that was happening is that I'd lost complete, not complete, but I'd lost connection with my son for this relationship at that point. Um, on the same account, I kept reaching out on the, when he would reject that, uh, you know, would hurt. Uh, uh, guilty of being a, a covering codependent here, as I understand that term to mean to apply to me. Um, and yet it was... I was able to explain it by he's got to grow up and learn something he's lost on his own. Well, by that time he quit school. Of course, he didn't have the support mechanism, the support unit behind him. And so we went on like this for a while. So, so in the process of this whole entire uh, situation where we are now, uh, mm-hmm. your communicate, your, your conversations with him uh, are non-existent. I bet in a, some sort of way, he doesn't trust you. I assume. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, unconsciously, exactly. he is, uh, even though if he knows or, or he doesn't know, he's, you guys are now uncoupled in the sense of um, you're just, he doesn't feel safe around you. So now he's probably telling his new girlfriend, oh, kind of, this is what is happening, uh, not realizing he's about to go down the exact same road you're going down at the exact same time. Um, and because you're the only two people that maybe you can trust, uh, possibly in the world, um, and now you're apart, he has no one that he, uh, he's alone and, but you don't know that yet. He doesn't know that yet. And, uh, you're also alone, but you don't realize fully yet, like what you're yep. dealing with. 
Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. That's exactly what happened. I mean, um, the, the, these people are skilled at separating you from 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 the ones that you love the most and the ones you trust the most. The reason I only look back now in, in hindsight and know full well that she was separating me from him because uh, uh, because he would be the one that would be able to unmask her uh, the easiest, the most convenient way. Um, you know, and if spoke out, she knew he was a threat to, to, to what she was getting. She knew. She absolutely knew that. Um, there's, you know, and, and so as this went on, I mean, it was, uh, uh, it was hills and valleys, lots of good things. You know, this is the thing about it. And there's anybody that's gone through these types of experiences. Um, there's a lot of good things that happened. There was a lot of fun times with, you know, um, you know, trips, you know, day trips going to different locations and, and overnight trips and weekends and, I mean, you know, you get sucked up into this 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 world that 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 you. This is something I always wanted is just to pick a spot on a map, go see what it's like, stay there for a weekend. Let's go back and and just have some fun and you know and, and uh, you don't even realize what's happening. You know, you don't realize that on the other side. Yeah, all that is good, but you know, the the on the it, it excuses all the little little indiscretions, you know, or the little things that are happening to you that you're not even aware of, not indiscretions, but little things that are happening to you that are the gaslighting, the uh, emotional manipulation, the triangulation, everything else that, that's going on and the separation from my, my own family. Um, you know, through the course of this, I mean, one of the things that I dealt with um, in the course of a three-year period, well, I guess two-year period, it was 2019, um, my father passed away, my uncle passed away, one of my best friends passed away, one of my son's best friends passed away, was killed in a car accident at 20 years old. Um, there was all of a sudden a lot of tragedy in my life, which never really existed. And, you know, it, it was a lot to deal with. And yet, I always felt like I could come from moral support, yet there's always that feeling that you're just not getting, not getting what you wanted. You know, you, you needed the support. You needed the person you love the most to support you. I, I'm ashamed to say this. I love this person. Yet somehow those that support when you're going through it, like when my dad passed away, it was always um, the conditions seemingly. And, well, I'll do this for you, but remember we have to do whatever this is, or, you know, there's, you know, I mean, I, I was, when my dad passed, I was not in a good, not in a good spot with, with dealing with it, but on the same account, it took me two years to deal with his passing because these, these, these type of abusers also prevent you from feeling grief, from going through the, the stages of grief and, and, and the grieving process. And so it, 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 it was fun, but on the same account, it was punctuated by these moments of terror, that intermittent, intermittent you know, rewards structure that, that exists with them. You know, it's, you just never know. But the consistent thing on this was sex, like always sex. And um, even in the middle of one of the most trying times when, when she confronted me about my son and asked me to choose, I remember... 
she seduced me. And and that's and that might be hard for people to understand. I'm a, you know between a male and a female. Well, how can she? You can just say no. I I don't know how to explain it other than that you, it's somehow I can't. I don't know. I uh, I remember the the moment that it happened, thinking this isn't right, but I don't want to do this. But seemingly, I just you know I, I there it is, and all of a sudden the world's uh, you know we're done and. and the, everything doesn't quite seem so bad. You know, I might lose this. That reinforcement of all that. And, uh, you know, so it was it was a very, very strange thing. And I remember talking to my counselor when, when that happened. And I said, you know, I felt like, you know, sex was used as a weapon. And, you know, her eye kind of, that's an interesting comment. You know, you really understand what's going on. And, no, I didn't. I had no idea. But in the process of all this, too, I was, in a weird way, was healing from a 20-year abusive relationship with my ex-wife. I was doing all the work. I was journaling. I was going to meditation classes. I was putting in the deep dives on, on all that. So in a very strange way, it felt like I was in a healing position, too. And so, um, yeah, it it, it, it 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 was very strange. Uh, a strange type situation and so of course there would be different things that would happen I just want to remember one of her favorite tactics to get me to respond would be I you know she would ask me about some aspect of life with my ex-wife and I would say well you know this is how it was and you know I'm trying to move on from that and then when I, she would say well what about this, or she would lead on, lead, ask these leading questions, and I'd say, no, it wasn't like that. And I remember it was always usually in a public spot, and then, you know, it would, it, I would get annoyed, and then I would just react enough just to make a bit of, not a, a scene, but just, no, that's not what I mean. And then she would get upset and say, how dare you talk like this in public? We, you know, and then the silent treatment would come, and she'd walk away, and then we'd you know, I'd end up chasing her around for the evening. And then, you know, uh, finally at the end of the, you know, on the drive home from dinner or wherever it was, she would play into me about my behavior. And, you know, just because you're with somebody for 20 years that reacts that way doesn't mean you have to. Grooming, right? And, uh, well, that would happen quite often. Um, so were you feeling so, like you were the problem uh, when oh, yeah. at this point that these things are going on and she's always doing these leading questions uh, mm-hmm. to points where uh, it's going to hit a um, a trigger point for you to uh, react yep. in a negative way. She's doing it on purpose and then she's blaming you for what she knows she's doing. That's correct. Okay. That's exactly what she did. That's exactly what it was. I, I now completely understand the term projection. I, you know, she was projecting our entire relationship. Um, I get it. And, and uh, you know, I, you know, on, on that, a similar episode happened. We were traveling in Washington State, and, and um, I'm, I'm sure it's okay to say the town, Wenatchee. Uh, I, I, we were having breakfast. And looking through the window, I see somebody, my old manager from a company I used to work with, he and I are, are, are still close. I still consider him a very good friend. And I say, geez, it looks like 
you know, so and so and his wife walking down the street. But it was so random. Who would who would think that? And then I look again. I said, "That's them." And so they came walking into the restaurant. They're having breakfast, and he's very gregarious. This fellow has a big laugh, and he's very, very just affable, right? He's very, you know, like, "Hey, Wayne, how you doing?" Just, you know, uh, you know, it, it was, it, it was, it was. Are you like, how are you doing? Good. I'm, you know, blah blah blah. And he'd be laughing, and I said, "This is my friend, you know, Marie, and 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 we're here, and 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 oh, that's great." And well, enjoy your breakfast. They were on a motorcycle trip around, and they, they said, "Go this way. It's a nicer way to get back home." And and so we went. But for 20 minutes in the vehicle, um, I thought, "How come you acted that way? How come you embarrassed us in front of everybody?" And that was like, I was excited to see somebody I hadn't seen in a couple of years. You know, it was like this doesn't seem like an appropriate line of questioning. And uh, I remember feeling very stupid about it. I just remember feeling very, well, you know, like, well, how did you expect me to react? If I, if you met one of your friends like that, I would expect you to react the same way. But it seemed to, you know, it was always that leading question and allowing me enough rope to hang myself and try to explain it and make it better. But, you know, if I would just sit there and shut up, I probably would have done myself better service. But so many of those incidents happened when, you know, like we went to catch a professional basketball game down the coast with her sons who played played basketball in high school, and all of a sudden I got a silent treatment out of the out of the blue, and I didn't know it. I just looked at her and I said, "Well, I guess maybe need some time by yourself, just to, you know, you know that happens. It's no big deal." And again, it was like, "Don't you ever do that again, and don't you ever treat me like that. Don't you ever walk away from me." And uh, I was like, okay, you know, meanwhile, I'm just hooked like, hook, line, and sinker. Yes, ma'am, you know. <laughs> um, and there, you know, and th- there was, you know, I remember, you know, in, these are some of the incidents that, that just groom you, you know. And, and, you know, another one that happened with me was, was I remember being at a school play. Her daughter was in a school play. And <laughs> one of the mothers was walking around the hallways. I could not tell you what this woman looked like, but she was filing her nails, walking into walls. Uh, that's what I remember about the incident. It was rather humorous. I'm like, uh, I don't know if it's a strange place to file your nails, but okay. And so um, she comes up behind me and says, did you get a good look? And I was like, she was filing her nails, walking into the wall. Uh yeah, I guess I did, right? And of course, then all of a sudden, you know, well, your ex-wife is right. You're probably screwing everybody that moves, right? And I was like, oh, down this path with you. You know, I, you know the amount of sex I've had with, with strange women is just, if any of the rumors are true, I'd be, you know, Will Chamberlain has nothing on me, I tell you. But, uh, you know, it was, it, was, it was that type of behavior. Uh, yeah, and, you know, there's the evaluations that happened. You know, minor discards, and the end of the relationship, the start of the end of the relationship happened when uh, my best friend was coming out to visit. We were going to take her boys, my son, and my best friend. We were going to go on a on a fishing expedition for a day. It was around the time of my birthday, and so I was really excited for my friend to come in and meet her, and uh, um, all of a sudden that morning, she says, well, I'm going out tonight having drinks with, with some, some people from work and then catching a movie. I said, well, you know, my friend's coming. What 
the heck? And she didn't come home until 3 o'clock in the morning. I will add, uh, on a precursor to this, I'd come home from work one night, and her two boys were there, and I said, you know, where's your mom? And she said, oh, she's out with friends. So I texted her. I said, well, I'm home now. And I said, give me a shout. Make sure everything's okay. And again, silent treatment. Didn't come home until 11.30, midnight, something like that. And uh, uh, it, it, that silent treatment was, you know, was the classic, had me going, worried, is everything okay? Uh, is she out there with somebody else? Maybe she's not, I'm overreacting. You know, all the all the emotions that go with the silent treatment were, were engaged. And same thing with the night that my friend came. And so, um, I uh, the, the, the the I woke up when she, or excuse me, she came in the door around two thirty, three o'clock in the morning. The night my friend friend came, and she was upset that I had left stuff out on the, on the kitchen table uh, and that I'd fallen asleep with on the couch with the TV on. And, and I was like, bye. And I moved out the next day. I just picked up my, and I don't think I'd have the courage. I really don't think I would have had the courage had my friend not been there. And he was just there being supportive. He goes, yep, I get it. Let's go. Let's do this. I had no place to go. I uh, I moved back in temporarily with my with my mother uh, into my father's old room for for a short period, and um, it, I broke off contact. I broke off contact for thirty days. So, you, and, uh, so when you broke off contact, were you worried about mm-hmm. what her reaction would be uh, at all? No. Okay. No, I wasn't. I wasn't. So, 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 point, so, was, so emotionally, when that moment happened, it was it your friend being there, like really his courage to help you get the courage to just be like, this is enough. And like, if he wasn't there, you might not have done it at all. That's correct. That's yeah. exactly right. I look at that. I've known, I've known my, my friend for close to 40 years. I mean, we went to high school together. We've, we've known each other a long time. Um, and did you just like that evening uh, or when he was there, uh, just start really telling him all of the things that had been going on? Yep. Okay. So yeah, you, I did. So, so you and really he, let it he, all out and he, and he was just like, yep. Doug, yep. you're leaving. Yeah. And okay. well, he didn't say that. He, you know, he just said, I'm here for you. And, you, you know, he was very unsophisticated in his answers, and he listened. Um, now, we we did we did go uh, back to, uh, she, she too was from, from Alberta. We went back one time because they were selling their house that they owned in Edmonton. And that was her first occasion to meet my friend. And I remember at the time she stonewalled that. She just would not meet him. It was a very, and I know I'm backing the train up here a little bit, Brandon, I apologize for that, but she had a chance to meet my best friend twice and blew him off. And uh, that was hurtful to me. And you know what's strange about that is through the course of the year and a half, almost two years of, of, of that relationship, I can recall being at work, and I remember typing into Google, when is it time to leave a relationship? And all these different things would come up from different different feeds, and 
I remember one that stuck out with me is one of the reasons, one of the things that indicates you it's time to leave a relationship is that you're here asking when is it time to leave a relationship. My body was already telling me and my gut instinct was already telling me that this is wrong. There's something wrong here. Um, and um, one of the things that she did uh, previous to my friend, not being my friend, and I'm backing, in, backing the bus up a little bit again, is that she hit me one time with, what does monogamy mean to you? Um, well, that means, you know, you're in a relationship sexually with one person, you know, however that defines it for one person. Uh, but I, I had, I guess I didn't give her the right answer. And, and so she said, well, I'm, I'm okay with, if you need to be with somebody else, if I'm your primary. And I was like, are you talking polygamy? Are you talking, or it's not polygamy, but polyamory? Um, sorry about the <laughs> wrong use of terms there. Are you wanting to be with other people? Do you want to be in an open relationship? Is that what you're asking for? And I got that. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking what you want. I was like, well, I, I want to be in a relationship with you. That's what I want, you know? Um, so it, it, like every emotional abuser, there is a relationship with the phone. Um, it was only after I broke off, broke off the relationship that I went through my pictures and almost all the pictures that were at dinner, there's a picture for either texting, talking on the phone, being on the phone. I remember her on the phone a lot sharing messages with people that she's been like we were at a baseball game. Oh, I'm saying this to my brother-in-law. Well, maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. Probably not now that I, I, I look back at it. Uh, yeah, so it, I was so confused by that. That was, the, that was the start of the last evaluation and the discard started uh, a few weeks before my friend came out to go on this fishing trip, trip with me where she said, perhaps maybe it would be better if we got our own places. And I was like, wow, I didn't see this one coming. And so I moped on that for about a week, and I thought about it. And I said, okay, if that's what you really want. And she goes, no, that's not what I want, but I think that's what you, that's what you need. And I said, okay. So I made the determination that I was going to go. And then one night she was like, I don't want you to leave. I need you. I want you. I want to be with you. I want to build a life with you. And then within a couple of weeks, you know, the, the, the silent treatments and disappearing off the, off, off the face of the earth for, for hours at end was, 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 was at hand. And so when I moved out, um, I broke up all contact. And I remember a week or two into all that, uh, feeling very good about myself and like things are getting better. And I got Hoovered. I got Hoovered big time. I, she, she met up with me, of course, in the sexual. Uh, I kept it in a journal and I was reading it before I had my, my conversation with you and just the, just the overt love bombing messages that were just coming out of her, uh, for, for weeks on that. But she'd already met somebody. You know, that was the weird thing. She, she actually admitted that she had met somebody 
uh, who's much older than she was, but you know, that she was already dating it. I was, I remember thinking it was like, I remember, well, not thinking, I remember telling her, I was like, wow, that didn't take long. And uh, you're, you're moving on. But I was stuck in this whole thing. I was stuck in this. I got, I got sucked back in and you know, it, it went like that for a few months. You know, I, um, it, you know, the, the cycle would repeat and, and on again, off again, um, intermittent reinforcement again, you know, she'd come over and stay and then, you know, uh, leave her kids by themselves now. I mean, they are older, but on the same account, they're still in, still in school. Um, she was living in the place that, that, that we had rented or, or lived together in. Um, but And she's still married. And she's still married, and, yes. And do you even yes. know that yet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, you know what? Uh, the thing is, uh, it, that, that's true. And I keep, I keep forgetting that. The poor guy. I mean, he's a, I remember meeting him, Brandon. He's a decent guy. And only looking back in retrospect, I was like, Oh my God, you poor guy! Like I, I the, the empathy that, 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 that I have for this man and what he's gone through and what she's done to him—he just, she would call him just a lump, like vanilla was her her favorite term for this guy. And all he was was just a decent guy doing his thing, trying to, you know, go about life, make some, go about his, you know, make a living. He did move on. He did meet somebody, and hopefully, he's he's happy, very happy with her. Um, you know, so I feel, but yes, she was still married and she, as far as I know, she's still married. Uh, I'm sure she's gone through other relationships since, since, uh, since I haven't spoken to her in, 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 in over a year, but so, neither here nor there. Um, so, yeah, she's so still married. before we get to, um, you know, you telling us how, uh, uh, it ended, you're mm-hmm. still going to the therapist during this time. What are you telling yep. your therapist? Are you skirting around it? Are you addressing issues while you're yeah. there? Like what's because you know I've gone to the therapist many times uh, in my life where I go yeah. and I don't discuss anything that I should be discussing <laughs> while I'm there, and I'm like, oh, oh, I just wasted my money coming here today. Why did I go? Um, you know, so was. Because because it's sometimes I, like you you you're going there, but you know, and you have sometimes even when you go to the therapist, um, you do, still don't want to deal with your problem. Um, yeah. So you go and you talk about something completely different. Was that something that was going on with you? Um, I you know in retrospect, yes, but I would have to say that I was. I went with full intention and in, in thinking that I was being completely upfront, honest, and truthful. And um, it's not that we didn't discuss heavy subjects, because we certainly did. But that was my button. It was like, no, everything's good here. Everything's fine here. Like, this is a great relationship. I protected the relationship, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And I, we, her and I even went to one session together. And... And there is a reason why you don't want to take somebody that is an emotionally abusive person to a couple's counseling ceremony or session, sorry, because they they arm themselves pretty quickly. And, you know, I remember that session and she was just 
glowing, you know, just saying all these glowing things about me, about how, what a wonderful guy I am and how I, you know, he's great with my kids and how he, you know, just this, you know, how could, how, you know, like, first of all, thank you. Second of all, I do have flaws, you know, it's not, you know, like, it's, you know, like it's, it's, there's nobody on this earth that is this, that, that, that's, that's flawless and that kind and caring and gentle and without everything. I mean, I consider myself a nice guy, but on the same account, I mean, this was over the top. And so it, it just fueled the fire. It really did. And, um, uh, so I have a, yeah, I have a side I mean, note question. How good yep. are you at lying to yourself during like that time? Oh, I was awesome at it, Brandon. I was absolutely. I was. Uh, I was so good at lying to myself, and and, and uh, you know, uh, just making sure that I, yeah, I told myself lies until I believed them completely. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's part of the healing process. Is when you wake up and you realize that you're lying to yourself, and that you know you're only lying to yourself, and you're only harming yourself. It's when you can be truthful, completely truthful, and rub yourself right down to the bone, and, you know, and sand yourself down to the wood to, to, to rebuild everything. Yeah, the first person you can't escape is you know the truth, your own truth, and, and, and yeah, that's where, that's where you have to start. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So I, I railroaded yeah. you there, so continue. Yep, no worries. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this, this, by this time I'd moved out. You know, I had gone through all this happy, I want you back, but I, I'll be strong. And I've done, I did that for, like I said, for about 30 days. I was watching different, you know, how to get your ex back videos. And, you know, one of the, one of the, it actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise. I learned about, you know, attachment um, styles and attachment, um, you know, learned pretty quickly that I have an anxious attachment style. And so there was good that came of that. But on the same account, all I wanted was this person back in my life for whatever reason. Um, in the meantime, you know, on the sidebar, going back to my son, is he's struggling in his own situation. And he had his first, one of his first suicide attempts um, in this. And I sought comfort. Uh, my, um, I saw, uh, met my ex-wife and her new man in her life at the hospital while my son's in the hospital and I hadn't, I reached out to her to let her know what was going on. I just remember the cold feeling of, well, I'll be there, but I can't go in. I won't go in. And, but, uh, you know, I, I kept reaching out, but I didn't know who else to go to. It just seemingly at the time I, I craved that. And so it seemed like that gave me hope to kind of rebuild something. And I remember having these just, completely disassociated feelings of soulmates and twin flames. And, you know, um, we're going to make this, I just remember just being in this dream world of, of, of what this relationship actually was. And it was absolutely just toxic. And she had me where she wanted me. She was getting exactly what she needed. I would buy gifts. Uh, I remember taking her on, a weekend down to Las Vegas and, you know, it was just anything to make this thing get back. And I just cautiously, and for people that have gone through this, maybe they, they can, they can relate. It's like, 
you're consciously aware that this isn't right, yet you can't stop. It's, it's the drug addict syndrome, right? It's like you said, the shot of heroin. It's, it's exactly what it is. You know that you're doing something that you shouldn't, there's none healthy for you, but you can't stop. Um, yeah, so when we got back from Vegas, I had made the determination. She, she was, uh, yeah, I have to walk away. I have to walk away. I had, I, 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 I knew that she, you know, I knew that she was seeing other people. I knew that, you know, that this wasn't healthy. And I, I got the courage to kind of, <laughs> well, it was, I, I was listening to an audio book called Untrue by an author that talks about women's sexuality. And one of the things that's in there is they sit this in the audio book, they say her name, and her name is on uh, the dating website for married people. And I, I was just like, I got to see this. And no, no word of a lie. I logged onto this website, and there she is. She's on that website. And it's like it, it was like, oh Jesus! Like, you know, how many more signs do you need that this is just not good, right? And and um, it was. Uh, so I went to her office and I said, you know, listen, we're, I, I, this isn't working. We have to move on from each other. I'm, I'm, I, she goes, does that mean you never want to see me again? I said, I don't want to see you again unless you think, and I, this was my, I let, I let, I let her off the hook. I said, unless you think there's, there's a future for us together, but otherwise I'm, I'm done. And I remember her saying to me, drive safe. And I was like, well, this is what we get after two years is drive safe. And it was, again, there was a long period of about a month uh, of no contact and contact that I could avoid. I would get the, every once in a while, get the Hoover text of I'm thinking about you or something to that nature. And then I do recall her sending me a song about, uh, you know, a video about saying you mean everything to me or something. And, and it was like, yeah, I'm not falling for this. I'm, I'm, I, was, I felt some strength in myself. And then the big guns came out. Um, as I said, she was a medical professional, and she, she sent me a text message, and there's something that I have to share with you, and I don't know where else to go. You're the only person I trust. Can I see you this evening? And I said, I guess so. And I was like wondering what this was about. And she started telling me about symptoms she was having. Well, the symptoms would lead to you to believe it was a, uh, an MS or an ALS diagnosis. And I remember going to an MRI appointment with her. And I remember just feeling horrified for her kids. I remember this just sinking feeling of just like, what are you going to do? Like, and, you know, she laid it on pretty thick. I'm not going to live in a, I'm going to have people, you know, taking care of me and wiping my butt and feeding me and, and doing whatever. I'll just end it. I'll just end it. And this is no way to live. And I was horrified. But my therapist later told me, she goes, wow, she had to pull out all the stops to get you back. Uh, that is That is going way over the top. And trust me for, I never knew what Dirty John was. Until afterwards, I knew the story because it was in the L.A. Times. But 
I didn't know the story on Netflix until much later after she was well out of my life. When I saw that, my jaw hit the floor. It was like, oh, my God. And, yeah, so there I am back. And so when I am back, um, I really overdid it at that point. She was like, I just need to live my life. I don't know how much longer I got. Da, 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 da. This is a person that I, when I first met, this is wrapping this up, this person did not, she would have a glass of wine at dinner. Um, She wouldn't swear, wouldn't curse. Yeah, she was sexual, but didn't seem to have any of these weird vices. When I left her, this was somebody that was, uh, you know, smoking pot, drinking, uh, popping Molly and going to sex parties, um, doing ecstasy. This is this is who this person was at the end, and yep, how she discarded me was like she said she wanted to go to a swingers party, and I remember just I have to show courage. I remember this is where she got me with this. I have to show courage. This is something that she needs to do. We're not really together, but we're together. You know, well, it was a setup for the most brutal painful, punishing uh, experience I've ever, ever dealt with. And she had, she had obviously been to these things before. She met up with this guy that she knew fairly well. They knew each other instantly. Uh, I, again, just sat there kind of stunned, going, what the hell am I doing here? And it took me a little while to get my bearings about me. Uh, and I left. And... She came out, where are you going? I'm leaving. We can't go, you're my ride. I said, well, you better get in the truck with me because I'm leaving right now. And she got back. We got back to my place. I could not let her drive because she was intoxicated. Again, I'm worried about her kids. And so I just remember she went to sleep and she and she went, I, I couldn't sleep, of course. I was just all jacked up and... I was, I, I, I cried. I broke down. I was crying. She goes, I don't know why you have to make this so dramatic. And that's what she told me. And I said, <laughs> I just remember thinking, you don't get to tell me how I deal with this situation anymore. And so I woke her up very early in the morning. I said, you have to leave now. And that was it. That was the end of the discard. I sent her on her way. Never heard from her again. And that is my story. And uh, subsequently to that, um, I had a very uh, exciting experience. My aunt and I were going back to Europe. We uh, we did the old tour of the town I grew up in when I was my dad was in the service, and we lived in Germany as a kid. And we did Paris and Berlin, and and we did this nice tour. But on the flip side of that. When I got back, I broke down. I had a mental collapse. I was in the middle of a panic attack. I thought I was having a heart attack. Um, ended up in the hospital. I was some antidepressants. I thought that was the lowest part of my, my life. My son wasn't speaking to me. Um, but I'm here to tell you, things always get better. And if there's any one piece of advice I could give to anybody is that your body keeps the score. There is a book 
by that name. The body does carry that trauma, and you should, you know, there are signs that that you that people that are that don't take the time to heal uh, will not be attuned to. And my you know, foray into a covert, emotionally abusive relationship um, because this person was on the surface just it was, it was not the same person that I know. She was, you know, she was well respected. She was always doing the right things, fashionable person, the whole deal, the image and reality were two different things. Um, is that you gotta you gotta do the work, you gotta dive in there. You gotta feel the feelings, you gotta mo you have to make peace with your emotions and and, and listen to and listen to your gut instinct. So because really sorry uh- so when it comes to, I, I apologize for interrupting. Um, no worries. Uh, when it comes to now, your partner is uh, gone. The relationship with your first wife is, is also over, uh, yep. and you start talking to your therapist at this point um, and opening up more about what's going on. What like what are the things? that you first start to work on? Cause you know, a big part of our conversation today is really about, you know, your story and what we kind of wanted to hammer mm-hmm. home was like, you know, you went through this traumatic first relationship and you had all these mm-hmm. kind of uh, issues and you then didn't deal with them. And then you immediately yep. went into uh, a second relationship only do, you know, people say, or, you know, we have all, no matter what, these issues will always pop back up again until we know how to deal with mm-hmm. them properly. And um, so you went right back into it. So I guess for you, what, what were the, the biggest things that you had to attack first? I mean, you know, I guess sometimes, you know, when you, you know, in life, uh, if you're going through whatever emotional issues you have, and then maybe let's say you have a, an addiction issue, you're like, okay, I'm going to to a rehab, but maybe I should go deal with these other things first before I deal with the addiction stuff. Because I think it's yep. called comorbid. I can never say it properly. I'm not going to even yep. try, but you know what I'm trying yeah. to comorbid. Yeah, comorbidity. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah. it. Yeah, so, yeah. so for you, uh, yeah. you had probably a lot of different things from codependency issues to maybe addiction, little traces of addiction kind of issues. You have stuff Mm -hmm. that's going on within uh, your family and your relationships with your son that also need to be addressed. Um, Where did you begin? Uh, Right at the beginning, you know, surrendering to the process, right, is is really the first step is that, you know, everybody hits rock bottom. Uh, My rock bottom was that, I mean, the, I have been suicidal and had suicidal idealization in my life I, 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 uh, in, in years past. But this was the first time that I knew I was down. I knew I was broken, but I didn't feel that. I knew that I, I could climb my way back up or, or stand back up, rather, um, and, and, and make this better. It was, But it was really surrendering to the process. So the first issues we worked on were family of origin is really where it boils down to. Uh, you'd mentioned much earlier in this whole conversation about the chaos that was around me. Well, there was chaos. I mean, you know, for people that 
don't understand what it's like to be a military base brat. And not that my cool thing about this, and I should clarify this, my mom was a hippie. My dad was a soldier, so she refused to live on base. So when we lived in Germany, we went native. We lived in a little village, not anywhere near, uh, you know, the Canadian military personnel. Not that they weren't around. It was very close, but it was it was an, it was an, an experience. But it was, the geopolitical world that existed at that time was much different. I mean, Soviet Union was about to invade at any given time. I mean, my mom always talks about how they would have these drills about evacuating all the, all the non-essential personnel back to Canada. Well, nuclear war doesn't give it, doesn't give two shits whether you're in Germany or in Toronto or wherever you're about to be obliterated. So what difference does it make where you are? Um, you know, those are, those are things that, that, that you deal with in, in, in a different way. Also, my sister and my mother have a very, very close relationship. My aunt and I talk about it. My aunt is uh, very much my spiritual guide on this big bouncy blue ball through space. And, you know, the best way that I can describe it is emotionally incestuous, you know, and it's a very, very unhealthy relationship. Um, you know, the two, they, the two of them don't exist outside of the world with, them, with themselves. My sister lives in a condo in the same building that my mom does, a floor below. Essentially, essentially, she still lives in my mom's basement, now with her husband and two kids. Um, and so there's dealing with that type of, uh, pardon the expression, the only way that it, it's not exactly accurate in this case, but there's that golden child, scapegoat child type of dynamic. It's not exactly applicable to this, but it kind of explains it for anybody that would understand it. I was always secondary. Um, my needs were not met to the same degree that my sisters were. Not that I had a horrible childhood, because I didn't. And and I'm not blaming my parents about this. It's just trauma that exists in a young child that you deal with later on if you don't deal with it then. Um, so, I mean, that ends up being the root cause. So how do you solve that? I mean, you learn how to be your own parent. You learn how to control your emotions. And triggers happen, but triggers will always happen for the rest of my life. But the the skill that I learned to deal with the triggers and hopefully uh, in passing it on to my son now is that you're enough. You're enough just the way you are. You're okay. You're capable. You're smart, and everybody for the last 25, 30 years of your life that's told you you're, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're fat, you're dumb, you're this. I'm not fat. I'm not dumb. I'm not stupid. I went to college. I'm, I, uh, uh, you know, I take care of myself. I'm, I'm, I'm not, uh, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, all that is is not true. And so you, that belief structure that you've been that's been pounded into you for so long that you start to believe it's true. You have to start breaking those lies. Like you said, did I lie to myself? I've been lying to myself for a long time. And when you start that self-care, self-talk, self-love, taking care of yourself, and sometimes self-love doesn't mean going out and buying brand new clothes or 
a new truck or whatever it is that that, that, that that retail therapy. Sometimes it means that, yeah, guess what? I'm taking care of you, and that means getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning and, and going for a run or going to your, getting your ass to the gym or, or doing a meditation class or doing whatever that, that because I care about you enough that you need to heal from this, and you got to put the work in. And sometimes that means I can't do this for you right now. The hardest word to speak in the English language is no, but it is a complete sentence. And, you know, so sometimes no is the best word you can give, whether it's to an employer or or somebody you care about. Sometimes no is the only answer you got because you're not capable of doing it. So um, I, I like myself. I like where I'm at. I'm healed. Um, healing, because the journey never stops. But, but I'm also... A lot of the addictive behavior, a lot of the um, numbing behavior is, is subsided. And I'm, I'm actually in a really, for the first time, in a really good spot. A really, in, a long, in my life, I'm in a good spot where I like where I'm at. I'm, I can help my son go through his journey without taking, robbing him from that experience. He gets to feel his own emotions. I'm not interfering in his life. He is getting to experience that. I'm not solving the problems for him. Um, even today, I mean, uh, yet last night I found out my my ex-wife's father passed away. There's a man I cared about deeply. I've known him for 30 years. He was a kind and gentle man. I'm not going to let hate hold me back. Uh, I, I phoned her, passed on my condolences, and uh, sent her flowers and gave my best to her family. Uh, that's not me trying to interfere. It's just I felt that was the right thing to do, and nor am I looking for a pat on the back. I just feel like I'm in a healthy spot. And I guess, you know, as we uh, wind down the show here, uh, what uh, words of wisdom do you have for everyone who's been in your spot i mean you have generational trauma you have um you know two relationships um with uh high conflict uh people so as far as as you know what people are going through and uh how you're dealing with healing after what do you have uh to say to people well you know, the the only advice I can give it, it, it it's it's long and it's been repeated over and over again. But it really goes down to that gut instinct. Um, you're you you know when something is wrong, and if something is if you're feeling wrong, if it's not even the universe or God or anything else trying to give you a sign, you know and you feel it in your body. Like everybody's been there. I'm pretty sure, sort of being a psychopath, that something is wrong. Something doesn't feel right. Something is off. If you're feeling that, it's probably true. And if it's not true, you're probably better off not exploring that option because the because, because the, if it is true, the pain and the suffering is way worse. Uh, I, I can only tell you, it's, it's like dump, driving, dumping, excuse me, jumping into a cold water. And I mean, your body thinks it's going to die when you go into cold water. Yeah, and it's uncomfortable and it's painful. But the experience of the healing of the, uh, of the path back is so rewarding. And you just might get in touch with somebody that you really have missed your entire life. Um, 
The one thing I heard that, that I heard about people that are mostly abusive, especially people that use mirroring and triangulation and and, and blame shifting, is that they're when especially when they're love bombing you and mirroring you, they're actually showing you who you really are. And I I believe that to some degree, they're showing you exactly what you're capable of. Um, I'm no saint. I, I've made mistakes, and I, I will own them all day long and apologize for, for the hurt that I've caused people. But on the same account, um, that's not really who I am. That's never who I really was. Um, and, you know, all I can do is do better today and do better tomorrow and try to be a little bit better the next day after that. And, and you know, keep those that that are important to me close, uh, close enough, yet allow them to go on their own journey. And, uh, in the time of, uh, you know, the, every, all the craziness that's going on in this world with the pandemic and whatnot, it's tough. But uh, on the same account, it's there's silver linings to everything. And uh, I think one of the things that, if nothing else, this shows us that what is really important in life, and perhaps maybe we focus on what's not important a little too often. I had one wish to come out of, out of all this uh, for the world it would be, I don't. I, I don't want things to go back to, to normal. I hope things go go back to better. How about that, Doug? You're just a really good guy. Thank you. You really are. So are you? And uh, I, you know, it's been a pleasure uh, talking with you uh, this evening. And I want to thank you for sharing your story with me and with everyone out there we haven't had a man on the main podcast in a while we've had some on our patreon and i just want to thank you for for sharing your story and doing such a good job and you still use like i can't tell you how many times i've written stuff down you're you were very quotable and um you know you you let it uh, all hang out and be, you were vulnerable uh with us today and that vulnerability is going to help a lot of people so I really, from the bottom of my heart, want to thank you for being here with me uh, this evening. Well, thank you very much, Brendan, and uh, keep up the good work. I think uh, I think that uh, that your show does help a lot of people. I mean, I, I feel I've moved to a different stage. I don't, you know, but uh, I do listen on occasion uh, to stories that are interesting, um, and uh, you know, the. the I think one of the underlying themes to all, all anybody that's on your survivor stories is the fact that you know these are all good and kind and gentle and wonderful people. That you know you're not wrong. You're, you're not the damaged part of this. You went through something, and we can and, and just if you can let it go. And trust me, everything I've let go of my life has claw marks all over it. But on the same account, once you learn to let go of that and you learn to heal and you learn about yourself, I think. The world can only be a better place, and you can only be a better person for it. So um, maybe that's a little too hippy-dippy, but on the same account, I, I believe that strongly. Well, Doug, thank you. And for everyone else out there who is listening still, I know you all are. I hope <laughs> you have a good night. <laughs>